Hello and welcome to the Imagine Media Futures podcast. I am your host Tejas Nair, a new media artist and co-producer of the IMIT Media Arts Festival. This series features insightful conversations between Australian and Indian creatives about the future of independent media and creative ecosystems while discussing business remodeling and adapting through the pandemic, cross-cultural collaboration and strategies for effective audience outreach and engagement in the post-COVID-19 world. We hope that this series will act as a catalyst to forge sustainable collaborations between Indian and Australian practitioners to creatively respond to future opportunities. The Media Futures podcast is brought to you by AsiaLink Arts, the Australian Consulate General in Mumbai, and IMIT Media Arts Festival. Today we're going to be speaking with two amazing guests about uh, their reflections on bilateral architectures for artistic production. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Pippa Dixon from Asia Link and Avinash Kumar from Unbox and Quicksand Studio uh, joining us today. Uh, how are you both and welcome to the show. Hi Tejas, thank you for having us. Hey Tejas, hi Pippa, thanks for having me, looking forward. Thank you both. Before we kick off this exciting conversation, if I can just ask each of you to give our listeners a brief introduction about yourself, your work, and the organizations that you represent. Sure. Thanks, Tejas. I'm Pippa Dixon. I'm the director of AsiaLink Arts as, um, at the University of Melbourne. I have a background in design and social enterprise, not-for-profit landscapes, and um, originally come from a background in political science and then the arts after that. So AsiaLink is a really great um, opportunity for me to bring my life experiences, I guess, together and professional interests. And yeah, I'm particularly interested in the crossover and nexus between fine arts and creative industries, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's been a real privilege to sort of spark some new conversations. As you know, we came to India in 2019 with a delegation, which is a great um, a great event with iMyth and has led, I guess, to this as an outcome, this uh, podcast series. But, um, yeah, I'm particularly interested in cross-cultural exchange and facilitating new dialogue. Um, we work across thought leadership, arts-based diplomacy, so reciprocal exchanges um, between Australia and the region, and advocacy work, particularly focused in and around Australia's so-called soft power um, and what that means in a local and international context in terms of our investment in arts and cultural activity and the value of arts-based diplomacy globally. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Pippa. Avinash, would you like to take on? Thanks, Tejas. Uh, thanks, Pippa, for sharing. You've got a, a really interesting set of things that you're doing uh, at Asia Links, uh, and it's also been a really interesting journey to come to this podcast, like you said, to have it seeded in 2019 with, uh, with this amazing delegation that you helped uh, facilitate for us. Um, and then through COVID, there were actually many, many plans, I think, between all the people who came to India from Australia. And I think they were all on verge of getting kicked off in March, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's really great that this podcast is um, rescuing all of those ideas, hopefully, or some of them at least, and 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 hopefully seeding new ones as well. Um, so my name is Avinash. I'm uh, the co-founder of uh, two or three uh, creative collectives based in India. One of them is called Unbox, uh, which is essentially a festival that we started many years back, about ten years back, in fact. And today it's a non-profit that works uh, essentially as an interdisciplinary arts platform and within the unbox umbrella um, we work with a wide network of uh, independent artists such as Tejas as well as studios such as my other studio Quicksand and other entities that work with us as well as a host of global practitioners and institutions in a way that we try to promote this idea of what interdisciplinary work could be for India and why it's important for India uh, and why it's important to essentially break out of your silos um, for art and design and creativity to have a social meaning and purpose uh, in India, especially in South Asia as well. Um, the other hat that I don is uh, as the co-founder and partner at a studio called Quicksand, 
which I won't get into too much detail, but essentially Quicksand is an innovation consultancy and uh, we've been around for about 16 years. Um, and the heart of our practice is revolving around what you might call human-centered design. And we work across a lot of sectors, primarily in the social sector. Amazing. Thank you so much, Avinash. So I'm going to start with uh, the Asia Link Arts Creative Industries delegation that we hosted in 2019 at IMIT. Considering that's where this uh, journey sort of began in, in some ways, uh, it would be great to hear from both of you what the sort of vision for that delegation was, the nature and its purpose. And, and uh, much like this podcast, for both of you as enablers of that uh, collaboration, what were the uh, sort of envisioned outcomes? And, and do you feel that uh, it, it was uh, successful? It was a long gestation period before um, we actually arrived in India. And um, credit to Avinash and his incredible endurance and patience um, we were able to shape and like I think all good products um, it went through multitude of iterations and permutations before arriving in uh, Mumbai to be honest and um, and thanks to you know the Australian High Commission in Delhi and the consulate in Mumbai um, the officers there Hema and Alia and Graysam were just um, phenomenal in really helping us um, shape and look at who the participants from Australia could and might be and what the audience and the landscape was like um, for IMETH and then having that obviously supplemented through um, Avanash's uh, creative skills and expertise as well was just a really sometimes incredibly painful but ultimately beautifully fruitful um, process and then outcome. So I just wanted to say that up front. Would you agree, Avanash? Absolutely. Thanks, Pippa. Um, I, I, I forgot to, to mention in my introduction that I am, or at least trying to be one of the curators at IMIT Media Arts Festival. And so IMIT, for those who don't know, is a, a festival based in India, um, run by Unbox or produced by Unbox. Um, and the festival deals with trying to articulate and uh, discover in some ways the new media landscape uh, or more largely the media arts landscape in India. Um, and, you know, we started off as a film festival and today we do a whole bunch of things. Um, and having the delegation from Australia was definitely the high point of the 2019 festival for us. And, you know, I'm so glad that the timings worked out well, that we could have a very diverse crew because often... You know, what happens as a festival in India when you invite like foreign delegations or foreign artists is that often it might be like, you know, that there's this one superstar DJ coming in or there might be this one painter or sculptor. You know, it's often gets reduced to this kind of singular or, you know, two, one or two big entities. Whereas in our case, everyone was uh, that you brought in was amazing in their own way. And then they represented also a very big sort of universe of talent and ideas and interests. And together, the group was extremely diverse and I guess our job in that in, at IMIT was to try and matchmake in some ways, obviously beyond the uh, you know the, the showcases and the, and the speaker slots and all of that. The actual idea was to seed and try to matchmake uh, interesting collaborations. Um, and this podcast being in some strange twisted way the first of those outcomes after a year and a half. That was really intense. We wanted to maximize the opportunity of that flying that distance. You know, connecting. Um, with you all in India um, and really try and have touch points in as many places in India as possible. So what we did was um, consult with each of the participants. Um, I just think that we went to them and said, if we're going to go to India, what are your interests and what would you like to do and who would you like to meet with or what would you like to build on? Because some of them had had lasting relationships there. And then we ended up with five independent itineraries across five or six different cities. And um, we then mostly converged in um, Mumbai, but we'd already um, visited, you know, Kolkata, Delhi, Hyderabad, and then some went on to Goa afterwards as well. So it was pretty epic, actually. And what was amazing is that... Um, some of them had never been to India before and including myself. But I just wanted to say that Avanash and his team um, just put in so much time 
not just on the IMIS program, but actually trying to help us maximise every opportunity we had in India. So using their remarkable network um, to build opportunity for us and um, that sort of collaborative effort and partnership is so wonderful. It's a rare gem. Thank you, Pippa. appreciate you saying that. Traditionally, collaborations across borders have, have taken place with delegations uh, flying over to the other country, spending some time there, immersing themselves in that culture, in that environment, um, and, and hopefully seeding new relationships and projects through that. Um, unfortunately, since March of 2020, all of that has changed. And, and we've now been in a state of pandemic for almost a year, if not more. And, and it's been different in different parts of the world. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the challenges for once have been quite similar, irrespective of the country that you're in. The protocols have been uh, very, very challenging for a lot of industries. Uh, but today, I'd like to specifically focus on how this crisis has affected uh, the arts practitioners, the arts community, and also how it has impacted artistic collaboration uh, in both Australia and India. I think the um, the ongoing pandemic, obviously, uh, without getting into the global kind of discourse on it, because it's so varied and it's so individual in some ways, I can, at a personal level, I've been blessed that I live in Goa, and it possibly could be one of the best places in the world to be stuck in during the pandemic. And so I've been very lucky with my team that works with me here and my family. Um, but having said that, obviously, uh, looking around at, you know, uh, my peers in in other places in India, my peers in design and art, in, uh, you know, electronic media and so on. I feel, again, even there, there's such diversity, uh, you know, ranging from, let's say, you know, artists like DJs or electronic music producers who pretty much fell off a cliff in terms of their work for several months and only have recently just come back, uh, you know, in, in into the marketplace, so to speak, the last couple of months. Whereas there were other artists who had, let's say, a multidisciplinary practice or had a digital practice already. And for them, you know, like like the popular case of Amazon, they actually, you know, most probably did better in some ways during the pandemic. So there's obviously that spectrum. But I think more importantly for India, I mean, again, I think this came up in one of the talks, I think with, between Akshat and Betty, which was really interesting around this idea of, uh, you know, India, India being a, a country of many nations in one place. And so us as artists living in Delhi or Bombay, practicing our work is a very, very small minority. And the bulk of audiences as well as creators are in the rest of India in some ways. And I think the impact on that has been quite significant. And lastly, I think it also came through in, uh, you know, in, in, in one of the earlier episodes between uh, Mikhaila and Shreya, where they were talking about, you know, the state, the, the impact of the pandemic on folk artists or uh, indigenous artists and certain art communities uh, who anyway were facing an uphill kind of battle against, let's say, modern forces, so to speak. Um, and obviously there the impact has been even more drastic in some ways. So I feel like and I, as an observer, those are the things I spot. Uh, and also as someone who's, I guess, you know, trying to lead a couple of festivals and, and more these public engagement platforms that we run as Unbox or as IMIT, you know, we haven't done anything since that last IMIT that we just spoke about. You know, that's the last thing we did in the end of November in 2019. We've chosen to not go digital just because there was maybe too much happening and we just felt like, you know, it's fine to just keep quiet. It's fine to be reflective. It's fine to think about doing nothing and you know accept those losses um yeah that that that's kind of what our response was just a lot more reflection um at a personal level at a, at, at the level of our collective and just trying to think about the future think about it more slowly um think about what are the kind of things that we want to build in the future and how we want to go about it more importantly uh yeah those are the thoughts that uh, that have been occupying me around the pandemic Cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Avinash, I just have a follow up to that. Could you also uh, maybe tell us your reflections on uh, some of the things like you mentioned over the last few months in India have started coming back to life. Certain lockdowns have opened up. So the landscape is evolving as we speak. Uh, what has your uh, reaction or your peers reactions been to the the new normal? 
My studio, Quicksand, and me personally, I work a lot in public health. In fact, uh, you know, we are actively working on several projects around COVID and so on. So I guess my radar for the fact that the pandemic is still going on is quite high. But I have to say in my in the few couple of visits I've made to Bombay and Delhi recently and what I'm seeing on Instagram and social and hearing from my friends, there doesn't seem to be any pandemic anymore. So I don't know if there's a new normal, but there's, it's just normal, I think. And... Um, so and I think it's great for the for the arts community, obviously, because they get their livelihood back. They get new opportunities uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, they've, they've I think people are managing to bring back learnings from the from the lockdown, from their experience into the art. Uh, there's just a whole new type of art and a whole uh you know, category of art, I would say in India, that's come up that I've noticed, which maybe wasn't there before, which was really around like more psychological dimensions of yourself, of addressing your own kind of like, um, you know, fears and, 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 you know, looking at your art to kind of talk about those kind of ideas. Uh, a lot of like topic thematics around mental health, obviously, uh, which have come through in art and music. Uh, I think that they're very valuable because we don't have any discourse on mental health in this country otherwise. Um, so there are all these kind of hidden things which now are you're starting to see and a lot of people, I think, are now starting to release work. Tejas, you being one of them, I, I heard you just released your video game project. So yeah, I mean, for example, I mean, that's a clear example of something that's incubated over the pandemic and now that things are opening up, it feels like the right time. Yeah, thanks, um, Tejas. I think that um, similarly to Avinash's experience, um, there have been some very positive aspects around um, COVID-19 um, in regard to people um, valuing and having time to spend with family. That was one of the things that was coming up um, and a new sort of framing for what that means um, and being connected um, to the people around you very intimately and very closely Obviously, huge negatives um, as well, and no more so than livelihoods and um, how people were going to survive with the income. Um, again, I think that there was um, another positive was this um, uh, renewed focus on the sort of local and hyperlocalism that was emerging um, and connecting communities um, locally too. Although um, there was a lot of concern in the arts and cultural sector that. They weren't being valued as highly as other se sectors in Australia that were getting significant financial support um, to survive and to maintain their businesses beyond the pandemic. Um, a lot of um, arts and cultural workers uh, work as independent contractors, as you know very well, um, and they weren't eligible in the same way for the financial support that the government was providing. Um, so actually, um, in the in the last quarter last year, a parliamentary inquiry was launched into the impact on the arts and cultural sector by COVID-19, and we're waiting for the results of that um, now, but I think that's going to be really interesting. But certainly, um, you know, some great art does come out of difficult situations, and that has been um, the case as well. It has allowed opportunity for some reflection, um, but I really think people were very focused on survival as well. Um, so innovation in amongst that um, is terribly difficult and exhausting. So while, you know, in many ways um, the Australian arts and cultural and creative industry sectors are um, well supported and better off than many colleagues and um, communities in India, um, there was still a lot of pain felt. And I think that those who were already working in the digital domain and technological domains were able to the overused, <laughs> terrible word, well, firstly, unprecedented, that drives me nuts, but then um, pivoting uh, to other practices was made difficult because you're not just surviving, you're having to innovate as well. Um, and, you know, visual arts sector is a classic point. Um, you know, in the more traditional modalities, people were starting to use online viewing rooms and all of that type of thing globally. And then very quickly there were criticisms around that too, which is um, these these works weren't made for the digital landscape. They're made to be experienced, to be to be looked at, to walked around, to to feel. And so the mimicry of those live and physical environments was ridiculed. And um, yeah, I think that's a fascinating thing to come out of it. And at the same time, um, from some of the conversations that you've been having with people. Um, 
technology is making leaps and bounds at the moment and is surpassing, uh, you know, where we thought we would be in 2021. Um, two years ago, we're now, as I think Shreya was saying, um, you know, operating five, seven years ahead of our time right now because we've been forced to. So that's exciting, but I am worried about what COVID-19 has done in terms of um, not just closing our, our physical international borders, um, but also metaphorically the, the capacity to continue conversations like this and to continue to collaborate and produce um, work that's meaningful across borders. Uh, there's just being a shying away from it. There hasn't been an investment in it because the investment has been on the immediate priority, which is local livelihoods, um, which is understandable. Um, but is this is this just a um, frivolous privilege? Um, I don't think so. I think one of the thematics that's come up in this series today is how COVID-19 has given us a clearer picture of what it is to be human, what it is to have shared issues, so the issues of humanity, and shared humanity and interconnectedness have come up. So how do we act as global citizens in this world of pandemics and climate change and all of the big wicked problems that we face right now? Feeding into that a little bit, I want to ask you both, could you shed some more light on, on what, according to you, uh, constitutes uh, bilateral architectures for artistic production and, and also possibly through an India-Australia lens? Bilateral architectures, it's also like very heavy sounding words. <laughs> but, but, but I can tell you what I feel of it, I guess, more than what the world might feel of it. Um, and I think in the context of cultural production or cultural kind of work, I, I think in general, that's also not, uh, I think it's also, uh, I guess, terms that are not often used together. Often bilateral architectures, let's say, would be used in a more diplomacy kind of context or a international cooperation context and I really like the fact that we're using it in this case in the context of the arts and for me first what it implies is to bring that level of formalization and that level of importance to culture uh, by expressing it in those terms by using the words of, uh, of, of other kind of sectors I think that's a really important step to start with and so for me what it first represents is just a legitimization and further formalization of culture which in India, it's obviously a paradox where culture and art is actually embedded deep into everyone's everyday lives and families and, you know, festivals and so on. Um, but at the same time, there is practically zero government support, uh, you know, for doing the same. Um, and so I feel like that formalization and, and legitimacy is extremely important. And then when you look at, you know, some of the uh ideas that have been expressed on this podcast by earlier artists and uh you know guests uh such as shreya who you know who spoke about privilege and michaela for example who spoke about a different kind of privilege in australia and and how to kind of work uh, and globally as well uh you look at people like you know akshat and and betty who also spoke a lot about you know strong social conscience but at the same time this kind of uh you know at some level, some kind of a complementary uh, aspects. And for me, bilateral architectures for cultural work really is about identifying A, the convening itself, right? I mean, this podcast, for example, for me, is quite interesting because it's more like a convening rather than the attempt to make a podcast. We're, we're using the format of a podcast to create an interesting convening. And so I think that is like a, a really exciting kind of a starting point. Um, the other aspect beyond the convening is really, you know, what are the structural ideas that on which collaborations are built? And often I feel like we don't give enough time to create, uh, you know, and, and spend time on you know, what are the structures within which collaboration should happen? What is the environment within which collaboration should happen? Uh, you know, what is the culture within which a collaborative project should be even thought about? And I think that this podcast and the ideas that are expressed now really are talking a lot more about that. And, and I guess that's also my perspective on it. I agree. I um, But we work in this space at AsiaLink at the University of Melbourne, you know, this idea um, that um, bilateral architectures need to be um, government-led. I mean, the question is, do they? And 
Um, I think there's a lot of architectures and relationships. So if we break it down and go, what is it we're talking about? We're talking about a web of relationships between two countries. And our research and work has shown that, um, you know, while the government is absolutely crucial and must be a leader in this space, there's just so much work happening beyond that on a person-to-person level again. So, you know... You, Tejas, you've lived in Melbourne, look at your network. Avinash has been here a few times and has worked, got colleagues and partners and relationships here beyond, you know, ours. And when you start to um, look at that breadth and depth of engagement, it's really, really powerful. So I just want to say that there's a couple of ways of looking at bilateral architectures. There's the f- architectures. There's the formal way through government to government um, who facilitate people to people. And in Australia, that's usually the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And they do that through that soft power lens, which is why um, we're working on that and talking about that at the moment at AsiaLink. Um, what I'm really interested in is, um, I'm going to put it out there, we did a project last year on soft power um, called Public Displays of Affection. And from that, there was a real need expressed in the Australian arts and cultural community to better understand what other people are doing and what the relationships are and what people have done in the past and the present and are planning for the future, who their relationships are with, what organisations, what do they do, what are their relationships, you know, really building an understanding of interconnectedness. And it's complex, right? That's a lot of data, I reckon. But um, I think that's a really worthy project. So we wanted to transform PDA, Public Displays of Affection, into DDA, Digital Displays of Affection. And I just was thinking right then when Avinash was talking, why don't we um, have try and build one, try and build this Digital Displays of Affection between India and Australia and all the points of interest so that if I'm someone wanting to connect or learn more about what's happening with people working in a similar space to me, you can go on there. And I imagine this to be beautiful, by the way, like an artwork, right? A very interactive. I think we need Betty and James and Amitash and Shreya and everyone working on this from an ethical point of view, from a beautiful functional point of view, an immersive capability. But it should be something where you're inspired by all of the activity. You can see new connection points and you can engage And so we're really about elevating the autonomy and the agency of the Australian arts sector to engage um, with the Asia-Pacific and, in this case, India. Um, And there's no better way to do that than giving people the tools themselves to explore that. That leads me on to my next question. Take us through how, from your work uh, and and experience, would you say, uh, can these relationships be built in a long-lasting and and deeper sort of manner and then further be supported uh, by uh, governments uh, since they do play a huge role in in enabling uh, or bringing to life some of these uh, collaborations? I think the situation in India around the future of the arts broadly is unfortunately extremely dire and dystopic for me, at least when I see it. And I think a big reason why we run Unbox and uh, and IMIT and Quicksand and all of these things we do is our humble attempt at, you know, I guess, negating those forces that we see around us. And when I say those forces, I think it's not actually forces, it's actually a lack of forces that support uh, the arts. Um, but having said that, you know, we've grown up with this in India. There's no point in complaining or thinking about it. I actually don't think about it at all. And I don't spend any time of mine uh, thinking about what it could be. Of course, when I was younger, traveling to Berlin and London and Australia and, you know, like looking at the situation there, I used to feel maybe jealous at times or maybe envious at times. Um, at times I thought about moving abroad to seek those uh, forms of support as an artist. But I think... I decided to stay back and I'm very happy and I feel like if you're an Indian artist, you need to stop complaining, you know, you need to be brave and part of that, you know, uh, a part of being brave as an artist in India is to accept that and and to accept that, you know, if there are other kinds of players in the art kind of field that could support you, I, yes, they might be brands, unfortunately, they might be like nasty brands with really insensitive brand managers who are trying to commission art, but You got to take what you get, right? And um, make the best of it and keep your heart clean, keep your work clean, 
keep yourself clean you know like those are the things that you have under control um so yeah so i think the sad part i think for me is that i'm still an artist of privilege i you know i i uh i'm not wealthy but i grew up in a in a comfortable home and with supporting parents and 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 went to a good school and and so on um but i do acknowledge that 99% of indian creators are not in my situation of even having a you know a, a good starting point to start with and so the question is the hard question is there is a wicked problem here right the wicked problem is how does the how do the art survive beyond your generation or my generation um i don't have a clear answer for that sadly but i do feel like a big part of this is at the level of government and state and that's why the role of state however absent cannot be overemphasized that the the need for the state to step in in india in the arts and culture is through the roof um and you know i think what people like you and me can do is to try and create interesting programmatic interventions and be owners and custodians of those interventions where you can connect sources of money to sources of art uh, in an ethical manner and in a way that you could amplify things to the extent that the state might step in some day to help but till then i think we need to wage the battle ourselves it's such a different paradigm i think um how we operate in australia um vv india and i think we've got a lot to learn uh I also think that you know the government does support a lot of industries and sectors and businesses in many ways with different intentions whether they're about trade and investment um seed funding because it's new and innovative um and might lead to other um developments in different sectors so I think there's no reason why the arts and cultural and creative industries should be seen or treated any differently um so I think the argument in Australia should be um how do we elevate that support um from government but also enable and facilitate that autonomy that avanash is talking about at the same time um that would be the recipe for success right but i do think that you know you do you can seed things like our trip to our delegation to india with all these amazing people that you've heard from in this podcast um was funded by the department of foreign affairs and trade and the high commission in new delhi um supported that because they could see the benefit and the value and look at the benefit and the value it's still coming and most of these people are really heavily engaged in conversations um that are going to lead somewhere it's just that these things take time and we don't we're in a rush as all the time as i said previously we don't allow things space to evolve and to grow and to manifest I want to follow up on this and discuss uh, specifically cross-border cultural exchange uh, between India and Australia, and try and understand from both of you how uh, you believe those exchanges can help overcome challenges that arts practitioners in either of the two countries might be facing. Uh, and the, this is a subject I think that's come up multiple times through uh, all the four conversations prior to this, where uh, some of the challenges. that practitioners face are quite unique in australia as opposed to india and also within different parts of uh, each of those countries i think when it comes to cross border like collaborations uh, or whether it's between india and australia in this case or in general with for example both pippa and me have uh, worked with in several kind of bilateral relations in this manner i feel like one of the key things that we have to keep in mind is a, a is essentially bringing what i would call an ethical matchmaking framework to these collaborations because often the difference in certain economies and the certain societies is such that the dynamics of collaborations that you want to seed end up following the dynamic that those two countries might have in other relationships as an example not from india australia but in general let's say you look at the relationship in video game art between india and the western economies right and so when i as an indie developer go to a certain country looking for an artistic collaboration the interest is there from the other side but the interest from the other side is to commission cheaper faster 3d assets from a developer like myself right this is not against them or me i think this is somehow the reality of the gl- global kind of dynamics around art and commerce so i think the positive spin on that is that cross border relationships must take into account those differences in the framework in the setup 
in the intent and be very clear in in terms of framing these partnerships that these partnerships are in fact for creative collaboration they're not for uh you know finding better ways to produce your work or literally just for finding an audience in another country i think it has to go much more deeper and i, I think as as long as one can do that you will have successful uh, and like pepa saying right uh, it, and i firmly believe like all my entrepreneurial ventures whether it's the festival or the studio they're all actually with my with people who were my friends and we were friends we had a relationship and then we had a creative relationship and we built these amazing things on top of those relationships so i'm a very firm believer in those relationships and the power of that and i feel like amazing projects can only happen when you take the trouble to build great relationships absolutely uh, and and pippa how about you i know you mentioned with your work that a huge focus is that reciprocal uh, exchange and and not just a one way uh, feed how would you describe uh, some of these challenges uh, at a local and hyper local level being overcome by cross border uh, exchange yeah i think that the question um around the why again so why do we do this work um for me it comes down to that shared sense of humanity which i think is pointing to what avinash was saying then around um connecting on um you know projects of shared interest and having that creative exchange but i think there's a risk also um contained in that in around um potential cultural um references and um the appropriacy of that and um I loved what um Michaela and Shreya were talking about and the morals and the ethics around um cross-cultural exchanges and having um that closely managed and having them as for in our um case in Australia first nations led if first nations people are um it's it content from first nations people and then being specific to those communities and I loved what um Amitash was saying about there are many Indians in India it's the same here and I think it's the same everywhere um so yeah and I think that it's right I mean I'm also a business owner and I've run various different um organizations and entities and for profits and not for profits and for me at the end of the day it always distills down to what I call the community love bank you know you get in you get back what you put in right and if it is based on that friendship and relationship and not the intention to make money or to you know have a specific output like that that's measurable but if you start with a more um open mind to what it could be it'll come back you will develop that audience you will develop new revenue sources you will develop new partnerships um because people are interested in the spirit in which you're bringing to something um so i think intention is really um important and um yeah I agree with Avinash but I think with creative exchange we need to be really mindful of cultural appropriation um and misappropriation and asking why we're doing what we're doing Absolutely through the experience over the last uh, 12 months what would you say are some of these uh, digitized ways of working and digital trends uh, and behaviors that you think can can build the framework for these bilateral architectures for the future I believe uh, that we will take a lot of what we've learned in terms of the uh, digital like aspects of our behaviors that we modified for during the pandemic where it could be tools it could be approaches it could be personal like attitudes towards technology that have changed and so on um and so i feel like i mean it's just a wide variety of things i i do also hear people especially on this podcast as well artists and creators talking about the flatness of this kind of digitization of of the creation experience uh, i think akshat then i was talking about him be, being a drummer uh, but kind of uh, you know missing that and and also looking at technology as the inverted aspect idea of that human to human art experience um so having said that i feel like uh, for me personally while we have adopted a whole lot of digital tools uh, for remote collaboration whether it's working on a game engine in 3d together or if it's obviously video calls and zoom calls and so on um i feel like part of what is exciting for me is just a a lot more opportunities for collaboration with people which might not have let's say been 
uh, leverage so much, you know, last year or before the pandemic, which is just to say that you can now put, you know, 20 people in a room for three or four hours, uh, in a virtual room for three or four hours, and they could actually be working on a very complex and interesting project between each other, bringing in experts, you know, doing a survey inside, doing a, just a whole lot of things that just you wouldn't really attempt before, even if the technology existed. So I'm quite excited about what all of these learnings can lead to in our work. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Um, just reflecting on a conversation between James Boyce and Amitash, actually, um, they were talking about... Um, the speed in which, um, which we referenced earlier, the speed in which technology um, has moved recently in our capacity to utilise it and um, that we get able to do things. James said we're able to do things now that we couldn't do before. We can reach more people and we can create more immersive experiences. So his words were, so you can forget yourself. Um, and I love this sort of idea of this transcendental um, but I love also how that relates to um, Akshat's um, thinking around um, the existential as well. So what I've distilled from this is that we're not using technology for the sake of technology anymore. Um, it needs to be purposeful and we're trying to achieve authentic relationships and dialogue and practice, collaborations, whatever it might be, through it. And I think that's going to be a major transformation from this COVID period that we're going to where we only thought authenticity could happen in a physical environment. I think we're starting to realise that authenticity can happen in a virtual and a digital um, environment as well. Um, so I love that. And I love that um, there was also a conversation around linearity. Is that a word? Um, anyway, nonlinear progressions. Um, uh, you know, we don't, we're not on a one, one way sort of trajectory at the moment. We're going backwards, we're going forwards, we're going sideways. Um, and that's really terribly exciting, I think. Um, but we're looking at India. You know, I think there was a lot of conversations coming up around the speed in which things are changing in India, um, the population it being, um, someone said along the way, um, the, one of the youngest populations in the world. Wow amazing and the speed in which technology and the internet use etc is moving and mobile devices and all of this so um i'm not, not sure if i think i answered your question because i got excited about some of those ideas but um yeah i think um the possibilities right now are endless and um yeah but we're coming becoming more mindful what does the landscape uh, for future opportunities um, uh, for arts practitioners specifically to collaborate between India and Australia really look like? Uh, if you could give our listeners a sense. Uh, one, definitely, I think I, we forgot to mention as well or refer to your own podcast stages where you featured with David, uh, uh, who's a circus artist from Australia amongst, uh, you know, theatre and puppetry and so on. Uh, I thought, for example, that was already represents a very interesting aspect of, of you know, a, a, a physical human body-based art form or a practitioner working with someone like yourself who's now on the cusp of working with, with virtual bodies in space, in video games. I felt like, you know, for me, that sounds like a great collaboration already. Uh, besides, obviously, the cultural aspects and nuances of circus in India and circus in Australia and so on, which I thought was fascinating... Other things that come to mind which represent different facets of collaboration, I think definitely, uh, you know, the, the the conversation between Shreya and Mikaela left a deep impact on me. And I, and I really felt here in that conversation that it represented what I think a lot more collaborative artwork should be about, our art project should be about, which is really, you know, at some level, not about the art, but about ethics, about appropriate, meaningful, beautiful frameworks that bring people together, about capacity building for the arts, about you know, thinking about your community 20 years from now and building art capacities and or digital art capacities right now to think about their, you know, two generations ahead. I feel like for me, that really left a deep impact. I feel like that, again, represents a very interesting and unique collaborative opportunity. Um, when I, I think the other example that definitely comes to mind uh, and then I can maybe pass on to Pepa as well is around something that Amitesh, uh, and James were talking about, and uh, you know, Amitesh was talking about migration being an important thematic for him. And it kind of 
made me also think about how amazing it is to have two such different people in the room as James and Amitesh, you know, really coming from very different worlds. But to imagine that a topic like migration, for example, could actually be an amazing project and would be an amazing project. And it also has talks to how I feel, especially between India and Australia, it, it also is interesting that there is, you know, there are a lot of wicked problems in both countries, obviously, like in any, any other country. But in India, I think the need for art and culture to have a social voice and to have a social purpose is very, very high right now and very critical. And it really came through in the artist. And I felt like, you know, that in itself is a very interesting thematic, which I saw across all the conversations where both artists from both countries could really, uh, you know, collaborate on building that sort of ideas around social justice, uh, social voice, environmental impact, mental health. I mean, I think all of these are really interesting thematics that for me stood out in these conversations. And also in some ways, you know, shows a variety of collaborative possibilities that might exist between artists. Uh, so there's so many possibilities. Um, I think, um, you know, tackling um, some of these big wicked problems of the world. So um, how do we... How do we deal with closed borders? How do we um, connect with each other more virtually in an authentic way and in a meaningful way? Um, how do we deal with our rising problems around climate change? Um, I think these I think these have to be these are survival questions actually, and I think there's joint strength in working together cross borders to resolve some of these in the most creative ways. And I think artists have to be central to this. I mean, I really do advocate for artists to be involved in all of these conversations where possible and to be thinking creatively about them. Um, I think the biggest thing for me probably is um, how we can increase access. And again, that was one of those core themes around um, Shreya and Michaela's conversation. Um, interrogating and analysing the power dynamics and shifts that have happened um, through the pandemic in terms of that access um, as well. So, yeah, I'd like to see some of the ideas that have been brought up and discussed along the way seeded. Why not? Um, for all those listening who have capacity, here's some great projects that need seeding right here. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I feel uh, fairly confident for having been a part of all of these conversations, including this one, that there's uh, definitely a, a huge opportunity here. And, I, and I'm sure we will come together uh, to build uh, some of these, if not all of these, into uh, fruition. Um, this leads me to my last question uh, to the both of you. Uh, we are running a bit over time, but I, I think it's important uh, to also discuss this. In, in both of your respective work uh, within the sector i'd love to know uh, what are the new uh, models and tools of collaboration that you may be experimenting with um, to to encourage and catalyze new work uh, and and if you already have uh, any any upcoming plans uh, uh, for yourself and your organizations we have uh, actually been thinking of a whole lot of different ideas uh, which are trying to blend uh, some of the digital practices with more real-world collaborative uh, experiences. And as part of that thinking as Unbox uh, Festival as well as IMIT Media Arts Festival, we're actually actively planning ideas for uh, hybrid residencies, as we're calling them right now, which could involve a bit of both. Um, and in a way, maybe where we also take into account the more slower pace of collaboration remotely, which I've, which we felt uh, is an important aspect. We, maybe we didn't speak about that. It does seem like things take longer to manifest right now in some ways and things are cooking for a long time. And to keeping that in mind, we felt we should start maybe more long term, like three to six month residencies, which could bring people together remotely and then towards the end, really bring them together uh, to conclude them. So that's one of the formats that we're actively thinking about. Uh, and we definitely hope that we could, uh, you know, work with our Australian friends uh, and partners on projects on residencies like that. The other format I'd like to quickly mention is just around, I think, bringing a, a more higher sense of networking and matchmaking from a commercial point of view to these kind of art uh, collaborative ideas. I feel like the funding conversation for the arts and funding for 
things that come out of collaborations. I think that's never been as important as it is right now. So a lot of my time, I'm really thinking through what is the kind of framework through which one can bring, uh, you know, a significant amount of financial support for ideas that come from collaborative uh, experiments, such as this podcast or any of the other things that we're working on. Like I mentioned um, at the beginning, we're um, using film a lot more at the moment, and we're really excited about that. I think, you know, this is not a new question around um, the impact that film can have um, in terms of immersing, immersive um, possibilities um, and all the art forms that are involved in, you know, um, filmmaking. So um, that's one thing. And, I mean, let's face it. I had never heard of this platform that we're using today to record a podcast. I wasn't using Zoom eight times a day 12 months ago. In fact, I don't think I had ever used Zoom <laughs> before this time 12 months ago. So I think um, it's really critical to understand that we're already within the space of 12 months going, oh, these platforms are old hat, these are two-dimensional, they're not giving us really what we need and we're already thinking beyond that into other modalities. Um, so I think that's terribly exciting. We shouldn't forget um, how far we've come in this time. So I think that really, Tejas, um, and you're you know, leading the way and we're looking at you in Australia. We're looking at the projects that you've just announced, as Avi mentioned earlier, you know, these immersive festival environments that are virtual um, using gaming platforms, there's a lot of this happening at the moment and in different ways. And I think keeping connected and watching out and looking and taking the time to actually experience them so we, we can critique, move forward, assess, analyse, review, move forward, discuss, critique, move forward, you know, all of this. I really believe in this iterative prototyping <laughs> type um, capacities and... Um, we have a lot to learn from looking at what you and others are doing in India. Thank you so much. Uh, for us personally as well, these investigations into some of these tools are at a very early stage, but hopefully they might they might help us uh, further refine uh, what what uh, might continue to stay in our practice and and how that might sort of you know chip away and and build into something new. And on that wonderful note, thank you both so much uh, for your time and your insights and and uh, for also playing a, a huge role in bringing together this collaboration right from. Uh, the beginning uh, at its early seeds in IMIT and, and now all the way up to this podcast and hopefully for many, many years to follow and uh, looking forward for all the amazing stuff that we're hopefully able to build uh, from these conversations. 